All right, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. You guys are in a live mood this morning. I love it. Um, my name's Clint, and uh, I have the privilege of being with you all this morning while your teaching pastor, Todd, is living it up in the jungle uh, with his son in Belize. And um, Cynthia will share more about that later. But um, those of you who are, who are new or visiting, who I have not met, uh, my wife and I work with an organization called The Navigators, and we serve as missionaries in Atlanta, Georgia. We've worked with college students for the last 11 plus years, and in January, uh, I transitioned into a role to help come alongside and oversee all of our teams in Atlanta, and so I have the privilege of working with college students on four different campuses, refugee immigrants, under-resourced youth, business professionals, young professionals, church leaders, uh, a number of people. So it's an exciting season for my wife and I. And uh, we are uh, especially thrilled about being here uh, because this has been a church we have been very close with since it started. Uh, You guys support us, and we are so thankful for that. And, And because of your support, we're able to come alongside a number of people in Atlanta to see lives transformed and ultimately to see disciples made. And Jesus glorified. Um, You've been doing a series over the last couple of months called World Upside Down. As you've been going through the book of Acts, you've been exploring and and studying how did these early Christians, these early disciples, these early followers of Jesus, turn the world upside down. And the secret is, it's not because of them. It's because of the God of the universe that was working in and through them to change the world. And so I'm thrilled to be able to continue in this series with you all. Uh, We're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 17 today. And if you've got a worship guide, a program on your way in, uh, you'll see some of the the points and the notes that we're going to be taking a look at. But I'm going to share a few stories about some of our current realities in Atlanta um, and, and from our life. Um, before we get into this passage, uh, a little background context. So if you've been following along over the last number of weeks, you've been seeing that there have been a group of early missionaries or apostles who have been sent out to various parts of the ancient world at that time, mainly from Jerusalem into modern-day Turkey and up into Greece. And, uh, and we're going to be taking a look at the second journey of Paul as he travels into the city of Athens, Greece. And what's happened is he has just been run out again from the last town he was in. This is a theme. It's been going on. He goes into a town, proclaims the gospel. People come to faith and know Jesus. Lives are transformed. And then there's people who oppose it and they run him out. And they try to kill him a number of times. And so he's fled into the city of Athens, and he's waiting there for two of his disciples, Timothy and Silas. And while he's there, he starts just looking around. Uh, Athens was a huge city, and he notices very quickly the extreme idolatry that's going on. And so he's compelled, this wasn't part of his game plan, but he's compelled to jump in to action, and he goes and visits the Jewish synagogue, and he just starts preaching this message of the gospel of Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. Then he goes into the marketplace, the busy 
marketplace of Athens, and he starts proclaiming the gospel there. Well, while he's there, there's a group of philosophical leaders uh, who hear him, and they say, you know what? We want you to come share with our high council what you're talking about. This is strange news. We've never heard this before. And so Paul, never being one to to miss an opportunity, says yes. And uh, this is where our passage is going to pick up, where he goes to the council of the Areopagus. Um, Before I get into that, though, have any of you ever been in a situation where you've you've come into uh, a new environment or among a new group of people, and you recognize right away, I have a lot to learn about these people. That's been my reality over the last six months um, as I've come into a variety of new mission fields. Uh, Recently, I was uh, meeting with a group of our collegiate missionaries who work specifically on a historically black college, Morehouse University in Atlanta. And while I was sitting and talking with them and hearing about some of their realities of life, uh, not only on campus, but in our culture, in our political environment, I just thought, I have a lot to learn about the people I'm around. And I want to help them. I want to serve them. I want to make sure they're thriving and succeeding. And so I recognized in order to know my people, I have to do a number of things. And this is what we're going to dive into today, how we can know our people whoever those people are, whoever God has placed you around, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your neighborhood, if it's at your local coffee shop, or if it's in your home. How many of you in here are thinking, I still have a lot, I I need to get to know about my own family. Any parents in here, they're like, I just am constantly learning what my kids are into and up to, and I'm just way behind on the times. All right, I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old, and that is it for me. Uh, I have a lot to learn as my oldest daughter comes home and educates me on what she's learned in first grade uh, culture. Here we go. We're going to get into Acts 17, 22 through 32. Read along with me. If you have your Bible, open that up. It'll be here on the screen as well. So Acts 17, 22 through 32. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, this is the council, he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, and even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. 
Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by, formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, your living, breathing, active word, may you penetrate our hearts and our minds with this. God, may these words be from you, that you would not just inform us, but transform us, so that we would reflect you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the disclaimer this morning. As we take a look at Paul and what he did or did not do, our goal isn't to become like Paul. Paul had a lot of mistakes. He was a sinful man, as were all the other men, except for one, in the Bible. But we're going to take a look at Paul to draw some principles from his life so that we can become more like Jesus, right? There's only one person in the Bible who we want to become like, and he's the one who's still alive today. All the others who died would sing that praise. Jesus is the one we strive to emulate and become like. But we can learn a lot from these people. So here they are. Here are five principles for knowing your people that we see from Paul. Right off the bat, Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Principle number one is to know your people by being aware. By being aware. This Areopagus was named after the Greek god Ares, or in, in Roman uh, language, his name's Mars, Mars Hill. Some of you may have heard that term, Mars Hill. This is where Paul goes, and the Areopagus is a council of people who uh, I would like to think would resemble today a modern-day universalist Unitarian church with some judicial court uh, authority. All right, so they're, they're, they're flying their coexist stickers on their car, and they're drinking their kombucha and, and yerba mate, and... Uh, and, and they're di- discussing and dialoguing about the modern philosophical ideas, right? Now, these people, though I, I can joke about them, are actually highly, highly respected people. They're government-backed people. They originally existed to be a judiciary body, but kind of got astray, surprise, surprise, uh, by modern philosophy, And so they have the authority to hear people, especially regarding religious matters, and determine whether those people can continue to to bring those religious matters to the rest of the city. So here Paul is, standing before this group of people, and I I picture him in this moment kind of being like Jason Bourne. All right? If you've seen any of the Jason Bourne movies, you know one one of the qualities of the character Jason Bourne is he is 
acutely aware of everything going around him, right? Like he walks into a diner and, and he's able to recall the license plate numbers of the cars in the parking lot, right? And he knows everyone who's sitting in the restaurant and, and somehow has figured out their life story in like 10 seconds. Uh, he's just acutely aware of what's going on around him. Paul may not have the, um, the hands-to-hand combat skills like Jason Bourne, but he certainly is aware. So here we have Jason Bourne walking into a Universalist Unitarian Church, and he says, I perceive... I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now this perception is him drawing conclusions to to understand who they are, where they're coming from. And what he determines is they're very religious. Now this word religious actually can be translated superstitious, which was not an insult to them. Today I'd be like, I don't think I would want someone to just call me superstitious. So maybe they're more like uh, a college football fanatic on game day in a Universalist Unitarian church, sporting their um, superstitions, right? So Paul, he says, I perceive you're very religious. I perceive that you have a lot of values about spirituality. However, what Paul was recognizing and perceiving, what he became aware of, is that their religion was empty. It was hollow. It was deceptive. In fact, Paul, in in his letter to the Colossian church, in Colossians 2.8, he writes this very thing. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. All throughout his missionary journeys, Paul is trying to beat the drum of Jesus is the only one that deserves our religious allegiance. Anything else is empty and void. In Atlanta, we, uh, we have an incredible team of, of 60 missionaries engaging in, in 10 different facets of society. And uh, one of the things we recognized pretty quickly on was that we needed advice. <laughs> I needed advice. I'm 35, and on my team are people who have been serving in the mission field for 40, 50 years. And I thought, these are the people I need to help me become aware. And so one of the first things we did is we said, hey, two couples... We said, would you help advise us and counsel us in how to lead and serve and ensure that these ministries are thriving? And so we brought in two amazing couples, one couple who has planted a number of churches, another couple who has served overseas in China, specifically uh, in the business world, but living as missionaries. So they have church experience, business experience, people experience to help advise us. We said we want to become aware as much as we can so we can lead and love and serve the people around us. What do you need to help you become more aware of the people you are around? Who do you need to help come alongside you to become more aware of the people you are around? I pray, I hope, you do not only rely on social media. (laughs) That will lead you astray. The first principle, know your people by being aware. The second principle, 
In verse 23, Paul goes on. He says, For as I passed and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And then Paul unloads a sermon of his own. That I think if he were into titling his sermons, he would have said, the title of this sermon is Knowing the Unknown God. But Paul recognizes that in order to be aware, he has to be an observer. This is our second principle, to be an observer. So Paul steps in and he says, I have surveyed the city. I've taken notes. I have been recalling what I've been recognizing and seeing, observing, so that I can be aware. And he says, "Um, I found a few things. Specifically, you're worshiping an unknown God. We're going to get to that here more in a minute. But this strikes me because in Romans 1, verses 21 through 25-ish, Paul writes this as well to the Roman church. He says, they, people, became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Wherever Paul went, he saw there's extreme idolatry. What people are prone to do is to take the things God has created and worship those instead of the creator. I don't know about you, but I really can resonate with this. One of, one of my favorite apps is the ESPN sports app. And I'd like to think God created sports for us to enjoy. Tragically, what I often find out is this becomes an idol in my life. Success in my job, something God definitely honors. Sometimes this can be an idol in my life. When I give so much time and attention to trying to make other people succeed, rather than focusing on God who wants these people to succeed. What is the object of your worship? What do you need to observe about what's going on in your life and the lives of the people around you so that you can become more aware, so that you can know them? Moving on in number, principle number three in Acts 17, 24 through 28. A bigger chunk here, Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human tradition, by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made one man from every nation, from one man every nation, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling, that they should seek God and perhaps find, feel their way toward him and find him. He's actually not far from each one of us. And this really blew me away when I saw this. Paul then says, for in him, we live and move and have our being. And that's actually quoted from one of these philosophical texts of the people he's going to. What he actually does here is he unloads two pieces of their philosophical, philosophical texts 
In him we live and move and have our being. And then he goes on, he says, as even some of your own poets have said, and quote, we are indeed his offspring. Now this, this kind of blew me away because Paul is actually using their writings, who are very clearly not pointing people to God, but he's drawing truth out of them to point people to God. When I saw this, I, I thought, God loves to reveal his truth in many ways so that it would point people to him. But what this showed me is that Paul is a learner. This is principle number three. Know your people by being a learner. And Paul has given his life, his attention to learning the Bible, the scriptures, the Old Testament specifically, as he's writing the New Testament by the Holy Spirit's prompting. So he's learning biblical truth. He's learning about God while also learning about the culture and philosophy and trends of his times. He doesn't go in ignorant. He doesn't go in uninformed. In fact, I can't imagine that they would have not been surprised by this. Paul comes in and and he starts quoting their own philosophical writings. They had to have been impressed by this. He He spends a tremendous amount of time being a learner. Many of you uh, knew and, and had a, an opportunity to really engage in life with my father-in-law, who was a member of this church and uh, went to be with Jesus in December. My father-in-law, Frank Condor, uh, was truly a hero, a hero of my life. And one of the things that I so admire about my father-in-law was that he was a learner. In fact, right after my wife and I got married almost 11 years ago, uh, he started giving me books. And I have a stack, a collection of books that he had given me over the years and wanted me to read, that he had read and he had been so deeply impacted by. Everything from uh, God's view of the economy and, and cultural times to trusting God and faith and, and you name it. I just was so impressed by how my father-in-law, Frank, was such a learner. He always was seeking to understand. And he was seeking to understand people, not just information and knowledge, but people. He gave his life to studying people and learning about people and loving people and blessing people. What are you striving to learn right now? about the people around you. For those of you who are married, what are you learning about your spouse right now? My wife and I uh, will celebrate our 11th anniversary this fall, and I can promise you, my wife would attest to this, I have a lot to learn. (laughs) We all do. Have any of you in here been married more than 40 years? A few of you, amen, that's amazing. Would you say you have a few things to still learn about your spouse? Okay, it's a little quieter, but yeah. Your children, for those of you who are children, your parents. I'm learning a lot about my parents right now as they've recently retired and are engaging in a new season of life. What about the people you work with? 
Know your people by being a learner. Paul goes on, and he says in verse 29 and 30, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being, divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. You see, when Paul walked into this situation and he realized, I need to be aware, but in order to be aware, I have to be an observer and a learner, he also said, but that's not going to hinder me from shying away from boldly speaking the truth. And this is number four. Principle number four in knowing your people is not being ashamed to be bold with the truth. If you love people and care about people and you recognize their error and, and their folly and they're missing the truth, how well do you love them by not bringing that to their attention? When I was in college, I saw a video clip uh, by a man named um, uh, Penn, or I can't remember if it's Penn or Teller. Some of you may be familiar with Penn and Teller. They're like a Las Vegas magician duo. Neither of these guys know Jesus. Uh, one of them is a larger-than-life character, and he's telling this story. He says after one of their shows, someone had come up to them and had said, hey, loved your show, wanted you to know I love Jesus, and I really want you to know Jesus too, and handed him a track uh, with a, a Bible. Uh, I think it's Penn, but he said, he said, as an atheist, he was so honored. And he went on a rant on a YouTube video about how many people who probably had come through his shows believing the error of his ways and had never taken time to communicate truth with him. Now, I don't think this man is a believer now, but his point was, how much do you have to hate someone to not share the truth with them? This is coming from an unbeliever, someone who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't love Jesus, doesn't care about Jesus. But he said, if something is so valuable in your life, how much do you have to hate the people around you to not be bold with sharing that? Paul's life could have been on the line here. He could have walked into this Areopagus and said, all right, this could be do or die time. My head might be off tomorrow, but I'm going to be bold with the truth. And so he proclaims to them, that what they have been doing is wrong. He proclaims to them that God has previously overlooked their ignorance. And he proclaims to them there's a chance to repent because we have a forgiving God, a good God, a gracious God, a God who's full of love and truth. What are things you need to be bold with in proclaiming the truth to the people around you? What do you need to say that has been left unsaid? And number five, as we move into verses 31 and 32, Paul goes on and he says, because he, God, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, pause. <laughs> These people cut him off and they say, it says, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. I think Paul was just starting to get into the good stuff, and they stopped him. Whoa, 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 this resurrection of the dead, this is crazy talk. 
Uh, we, we might hear you again about this another time. But here's the last principle. Paul was bringing all of this to this conclusion that in order to know his people, he needed to be focused on Jesus. And so he's bringing this, this message, this sermon to this crux of, this is all about Jesus. He is the righteous judge who God has appointed. He is the one who's created. He is the one who's proven it by being alive. He's risen from the dead. One of my friends in Atlanta uh, is a guy named Chris. He works with university students as well. And uh, Chris was recently telling me a story about trying to find a way to get into uh, student athletics to work with athletes. He previously had been an athlete in college. He uh, was a Division I athlete, football player. And he was praying for opportunities to, to go to these athletes who often are very lonely and who are very consumed with various forms of idolatry. And Chris is telling me the story about going to some of the athletic coaches at one of our universities in Atlanta and he just opened up and he said, hey, I would love to come alongside, serve your team, uh, mentor in different ways, members of your team. How can I do this? And he starts building relationships. And he starts being very unashamed about his faith. He says, I'm just, I want to be a volunteer. Come in and help. But you have to know, my main ambition is to help people, your athletes, your student athletes, develop a real relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's my ambition. That's my goal. You know what they said? How would you like to be the chaplain of our football team? And so that's what he's working toward. <laughs> he went into these coaches and he said, this could be it. They could close the door and I never have an opportunity to come in again. Or God may bless this. God blessed it. And he's serving as, he's working to be serving as the chaplain of a football team at one of our Division I schools in Atlanta. It's amazing. He was striving to be focused on Jesus. I could tell you story after story of many more people. Some of the business leaders in Atlanta I've had a privilege of coming alongside who are unashamed, who are striving to know their people in these ways because they want to point people to Jesus. To close this up, in verses 33 and 34, Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. This message of the gospel had previously not been heard. No one had heard this. This was brand new news and good news. And here's what happens. Among them were this man Dionysius and a woman named Damaris. I looked this up, and church tradition has it that this man Dionysius was actually the one who then planted the church in Athens. He started shadowing Paul, learning from him, as a leading philosophical authority, <laughs> and gives his life to Christ, and is the founder of the church in Athens. And there are, there's still a monument in Athens to this day, inscribed with Dionysius' name on it. 2,000 years later. What would have happened had Paul not been bold? What would have happened had Paul not strived to be a learner? 
to observe, to be aware. What would have happened if he would have let other things distract him from Jesus? What will happen to the people around you? How can you strive to know the people God has placed around you so that they would know him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for being a God who is forgiving and good and gracious and compassionate and merciful. A God who longs to have us know you. Thank you for being a God who longs for us to walk in truth as you are true. Thank you for being a God who longs to have us experience a redeemed, transformed life in you. You are a good God. And thank you for working through men like Paul. Thank you for establishing principles for us to live by so that we would reflect you to the people you've placed around us so that we would, in fact, turn the world upside down because of you working in and through us. And I pray, Father, that you would lead each and every one of us out today with a passion for that. In Jesus' name, amen.